Hello, everyone, and welcome back for the 12th episode of Take It or Leave It, where we discuss the hottest topics in the world of workplace leaves, absence management, and accommodation. I'm Josh Seidman, and I'm once again joined by my amazing co-host, friend, and colleague, Meg Tote. Meg, happy fall. Where did the warm weather go? I can't believe it's gone. How was your summer? My summer was great. I still can't believe it's over either. You know, the kids are back to school. The perpetual runny noses are back. Um, and I am entirely not ready for this weather to turn cold. Don't get me wrong. I do love the fall, but it just means that the unbearably cold winters of Chicago are looming. So not looking mm-hmm. forward to that. But, you know, enough about the seasons and weather changing. I have to say a huge welcome back from parental leave. You're very much missed here while you're out. And we're so glad to have you back. How was it? Oh, my goodness, Nick. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it is great to be back. My parental leave was really fantastic and at the same time, super exhausting. Um, It was amazing to have time off to bond with my new daughter, uh, help my older son with the transition to being a big brother and the new family dynamics and all of that. But since I deferred my leave for a few months, my daughter uh, was old enough to travel, which was really nice. And we took full advantage of that. actually spent a good chunk of the summer with my wife and our kids in Paris, bouncing around to different places along the way, which in hindsight might be the reason the leave was so exhausting, maybe even more than than the newborn. But overall, really lovely, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'm so happy and grateful to, to you, our firm, our leave absence management colleagues for supporting me and my family during this really wonderful and important time in our lives. That all sounds amazing. I mean, yes, parental leave is definitely not a vacation, but incredible no way. that you're able to spend, <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. But so incredible you were able to spend that time traveling and, and enjoying the time with your family and definitely a crucial crucial thing to be able to do as a parent. And it also yes, is so exactly. timely that you're Yes, yeah, yep, absolutely. And it's so timely that you're just ramping back up after taking parental leave since our topic for today's episode is a high level discussion about parental leave. It's like maybe we uh, planned that or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big big coincidence is happening today on Take It or Leave It. <laughs> um you know, on on a Related note, it really does feel so lovely to to be back, you know, not only at work, but be back on Take It or Leave It with you, Meg. We had a nice summer break, and I feel so, so sort of grateful, uh, lucky, excited to hit the ground running with you on this important discussion, paid parental leave basics. As you and I know, and many of our listeners I'm sure know as well, even though we're calling this episode parental leave basics, there is very little about the topic that is actually basic. I couldn't agree more. Although it may seem straightforward, you know, parental leave, employer provides time off for employees who become parents, you know, it really isn't that straightforward. And there is a lot of variation on how these policies can be structured from, you know, what is the time for? Is it birth disability? Is it bonding? Or is it both? How much time the employer should provide? Should that time vary between birth parents versus non-birth parents? Can the time be taken intermittently? How does voluntary parental leave jive with statutorily mandated parental leave, which is generally referred to as paid family leave, for those of you who aren't familiar? And the other thing that people are thinking about or need to be thinking about is how might paid sick leave laws come into play and, and what are the differences between paid family leave and the federal FMLA, you know, as you can tell, I'll stop sort of going through my laundry list of, of things people should be thinking about. But there's just 
there really is so much to unpack with parental leave, and, and we're so excited to be able to give our listeners a sampling of what some of those topics are and, and what they should be thinking about if they're developing or, you know, revamping their parental leave policies. Yep, absolutely, Meg. It's such a, a dense and unique topic with so many moving pieces between all the variations in employer provided policies and statutory mandates that it keeps us and our leave of absence management team here at SciFarts, I mean, busy year round, right? There's always something going on, laws getting amended, updated, companies wanting to change their policies based on various changes that are going on in the world or within the company. So always something new to pay attention to and and to, to jump on as these topics develop. You know, we've both been counseling companies on parental leave policies for for quite some time. I certainly will not even venture into how long because I'm still coping with the reality that summer's over, back from leave, all all of those good things we spoke about a minute ago. But but I do think a good place to start today's discussion for our our listeners is with company-provided paid parental leave, right? So not diving into the statutory patchwork and, and mess just yet. Can you give our listeners just a a couple of minutes about what parental leave is, how companies are generally setting up their parental leave policies, some of the high-level considerations that go into those setups, and, and so forth? Yes, absolutely. As I mentioned already, there are so many different ways employers can structure parental leave policies, which is why it's actually hard to sort of strictly define what, you know, company provided paid parental leave is or what it looks like. Developing a parental leave policy or program can often be very challenging for an employer who wants to provide, you know, appropriate and generous benefits you know, who wants to address different types of family structures and the ways that employees grow their families, and at the same time protecting the company, both from financial costs and legal risk. There's a lot of thought that goes into these policies. And so with that in mind, I think the key decisions that usually need to be made when developing a paid parental leave program include, first and foremost, who will be eligible? Will it just cover birth or will it cover adoptions and foster placements? Will the employee Mm -hmm. have to be employed for a certain period of time before they're eligible for the parental leave? Will it be provided to full-time and part-time employees? Eligibility is a huge, you know, first step to figuring out what the parental leave policy will look like. It's an important topic. Yeah, completely agree. So important, Meg. Yeah. And then after that, I think a a second very important topic at the top of this list is will the policy address both the birth disability period as well as bonding, or will a birth parent have to rely on a short-term disability benefit, or will there be a presumed period of disability that's, you know, factored into the parental leave program? Another, I think, topic that's at the top of this list is how much bonding time will be provided. And can that time be taken intermittently or does it have to be taken continuously? And if taken intermittently, is there a certain minimum increment that it can be used in? There's just lots and lots of considerations. And and we haven't even gotten to some of the other aspects of it. Like one of the most complicated topics is how will the benefits be coordinated with paid family leave in terms of like the statutory requirements or disability Mm -hmm. benefits? And how will it be coordinated with FMLA? It's very, very important to be clear on the concurrent use of FMLA and paid family leave when developing a parental leave policy. 
Another thing I wanted to touch on briefly, as you may have picked up that's sort of missing from this long list of considerations, you'll notice that I didn't specifically talk about or discuss anything on the topic of designating primary or secondary caregivers in a parental leave policy. And that was intentional because we're seeing a trend of employers moving away from this distinction for a few reasons. These types of policies are being highly scrutinized by courts as discriminatory based on gender, given the strong perceived correlation between primary caregivers and gender. And second, because of the sort of disillusion of a clear delineation between primary caregivers and secondary caregivers, because so many people can really be both within the family structure. Mm -hmm. So I could go on and on about this topic, but the bottom line is that employers with this type of policy that distinguishes between primary and secondary caregivers should reconsider thinking their approach or those that are in the process of developing a parental leave policy for the first time should sort of think twice if that's the road they're trying to go down. Yeah, Meg, I mean, such a a really important list of topics you went over and so much to unpack for, for our listeners, for companies out there that are, are contemplating rolling out this type of program or updating an existing program of paid parental leave. A couple of, of thoughts here, right? One, the coordination of benefits between the company paid parental leave and disability benefits and FMLA, other state laws, uh, paid sick leave laws, unpaid FML laws, and, and, and so forth. Hugely important, like you said, requires very careful navigation, so couldn't agree more on that point. You know, the eligibility topic, uh, one thing that I I have started to see a bit in in working with companies and rolling out their company-provided paid parental leave benefits is while in the past there was more of an inclination to only extend those benefits to full-time workers, they are more often than not now being extended not just to full-time but also to part-time employees likely because of trying to keep up with state law requirements, competitiveness with others in in the industry, retaining talent, and and so forth. Same thing with waiting periods, right? You know, we spoke about a minute ago, you mentioned, will there be uh, some period of time that the employee needs to wait before they become eligible? And you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago, very common to see policies with a a lengthy 6 months, 12 months, maybe even longer a waiting period that you had to be employed before the benefits became available. And that is starting to shrink and get smaller and smaller and shorter and shorter because of a lot of these other factors that I just mentioned. Um, so certainly some trends, you know, as employers are contemplating ways to make these policies uh, more robust, more attractive to their talent, both current talent and, and new hires, perhaps trying to bring in talent with an attractive policy, helping the company with their culture making workers feel more supported, having a better sense of belonging from the company, and then being in a better position, going back to that coordination of benefits point, being in a better position to coordinate their company policy with any statutorily provided paid family, paid family medical leave, and so forth, those laws that might be relevant and applicable to the company. You know, another another point that I think is, is worth diving into for just a second is again about this interplay between the company-provided parental leave and other company policies. You know, you mentioned earlier about does the policy address just bonding? Does it also address the disability period that the birth parent would be experiencing? And I, I certainly have seen a trend with companies, whether it's in the same policy or separate policies, finding a way to address that disability period because many of the statutory mandates out there are, are already doing this. 
So that means for the birth parent, having not just a bonding leave, but also a pregnancy-related disability, maternity leave, birthing mother's leave, what have you, maybe maybe even just the short-term disability program that the company already has in place. But rolling that out and, and allowing those type of policies to be available for the birth parent for the first usually six to eight weeks uh, immediately after the, the birth for their postpartum disability period, you know, in the six to eight weeks, depending on whether it's a natural birth or a C-section. And of course, there can be complications that extend the weeks beyond the eight weeks even. But for those first six to eight weeks, under normal circumstances, it not triggering the parental leave policy just yet, right? The parental leave kicking in after the fact, understanding that those first weeks are more of a disability framework. So that's a really important point that we're seeing a lot of companies trend in that direction. Unpaid family medical leave company provided is another one. So companies will decide how many weeks of leave they they should provide under these policies, four weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, what have you. That will be paid, job protected. But if a company wants to go a step above that, maybe they can't eat the financial cost of giving more paid time off, but they can give unpaid additional job protected company provided leave to their workers for additional weeks of bonding. So unpaid family leave, bonding leave policies. And then I think one one more big one that we've been seeing, and I know uh, you've been seeing this as well, are companies not only having these paid parental leave policies, but also paid family leave. And it can get confusing because a lot of folks sort of conflate the, the terms parental leave and family leave. But in this sense, the family leave is really taking a page at a lot of out of those statutory mandates and giving not only time off for, for bonding under the parental leave policy, but now a separate policy that gives time off to care for certain family members who, who have a serious health condition that the, that the employee needs to take time off for. Um, so those are just some other big trends that we're seeing all related to parental leave. Um, and again, so many moving pieces here that it, it takes sort of a lot to, to digest and come up with a coherent program that the company feels makes sense for its workplace. Absolutely. There's so many moving pieces here, and and I will agree. I'm seeing a lot of that general family leave voluntarily provided by companies, oftentimes even called caregiver leave, where they're providing similar benefits to employees. Yeah, and they like at different stages in their lives. You know, employers are recognizing that, you know, maybe some employees don't need parental leave to care for newborn children, but they need the time to care for ailing parents or, or other family members with serious health conditions. So that's a really cool benefit I think we're we're seeing a lot of these days. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah. So so besides these employer provided parental leave policies, we know as we both deal with this a lot, there are a number of states and some cities that regulate parental leave like family and medical leave. Can you get us started with some thoughts on these mandates? What types are there? Where are they? And sort of what are we seeing in that world? Sure, sure. It's not like we've been hiding uh, hiding this too much from, from our listeners. <laughs> Clearly, we were going to pivot to these statutory leaves at some point. So so here we go and happy, happy to jump in. There are a lot of mandates in the paid family, paid parental leave space. They vary in terms of their scope, in terms of the covered absences, in terms of the eligibility, in terms of whether they're paid or unpaid. And the number is growing. The existing landscape is very regularly getting amended, and the number of new laws is growing. So keeping us leave of absence counselors always on our toes, which is why the area is so much fun. For starters, we have at the federal level the the FMLA, unpaid job-protected time off. It's been around for a few decades at this point. Bonding leave, 
care for an employee or a family member who has a serious health condition, <clears throat> military exigency are among the covered reasons. Kind of a narrow definition of, of family member, parent, child, spouse, especially as compared to some of the, the state leave laws that are out there in the same space, does not apply to certain smaller employers, um, new hires, or certain part-time employees, depending on the employer coverage and eligibility criteria. And what we've seen, and this has been going on for, again, a few, few decades at this point, states stepping in to fill some of these gaps. So a second type of parental leave, family leave law are state unpaid family medical leave laws. Those exist in a number of jurisdictions, California, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, Oregon, several others. And these are laws, again, unpaid, job-protected, time off, very often track the SMLA in terms of their, their covered reasons for use. But they can also go a step above the SMLA, with the SMLA acting as a floor, uh, not a ceiling. And that means that the eligibility criteria might differ. They might provide these benefits to a greater number of workers than the SMLA, or they might cover a greater number of employers within the jurisdiction than would be covered by the SMLA. The reasons for use or the family members might be broader than those uh, permitted under the SLA and so forth. So employers that have operations in one of these states with an unpaid state family medical leave law need to not only pay attention to those requirements, but also the SMLA at the federal level and see what they have to do to comply if those laws are relevant to them. A third group, and the one that we've mentioned already a few times today, is the paid family leave, paid family medical leave, uh, short-term disability insurance world of legal requirements. These laws are already in existence in a number of jurisdictions, Rhode Island, California, Massachusetts, uh, New York, New Jersey, several others. There are new laws that have been more recently enacted that are coming online in the coming years. And there are plenty of differences between these laws in terms of paid family leave versus paid family medical leave, leave entitlement versus wage replacement, short-term disability insurance and how that factors in. They also vary quite often on the substantive technical details. Employer coverage and employee eligibility will vary across these laws, making it difficult for employers to have sort of a comprehensive approach uh, one size fits all, if you would. Most of these laws are mandatory, and they require employers to provide this type of benefit to their employees, usually through an insurance carrier, a third-party administrator, although they can be self-administered in many places. But there are some of these paid family medical leave laws that are actually voluntary. Um, that's a newer trend over the last couple of years. You know, And we have, as I mentioned a minute ago, some new laws, new mandated paid family medical leave programs that just came online, or excuse me, that were just enacted, rather, earlier in 2022. And those are in Maryland and Delaware, which will start providing benefits to eligible workers uh, in about three or four years' time. So uh, a lot going on. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, there are many types of these laws. They are scattered around the country, but that is an overall sort of big picture of what the landscape of parental leave statutory mandates looks like today in the state. There's definitely a lot going on um, on the topic of, of paid family leave. And you mentioned this in your discussion on these laws and how they vary. But I think it's important that we talk a little bit more about the fact that some of these laws are truly just paid family leave laws, while others are paid family and medical leave laws, which I think often gets overlooked or they sort of all get bunched into the same group. 
Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's really important for employers to be paying attention to the state laws and which ones are paid family leave and which ones are paid family and medical leave. So the paid family leave laws only cover family leave reasons and not the employee's own serious health condition. And these paid family leave laws are in California, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island. And they only provide time off for family leave reasons, but they also in these states have interrelated state disability programs. On the other hand, there are paid family and medical leave programs that cover family leave reasons as well as the employee's own serious health conditions or medical reasons for leave. And the latest group of laws that have been enacted are these paid family and medical leave laws, which include Massachusetts, Washington, Washington, D.C., Connecticut, Oregon, Colorado, Maryland, and Delaware. So it's just important that employers are paying attention to that because the M in paid family medical leave often is overlooked or you know not really paid close attention to. Another point, too, before we sort of shift gears is that it's also important to understand that not every paid family leave or paid family and medical leave law provides employees with a leave entitlement, which may be a little bit deceiving since leave appears in the, the names of the laws. But for example, California paid family leave is really only a wage replacement benefit. The benefits will run currently, typically, with federal FMLA or California FMLA or CIFRA. And the employee will typically be entitled to job protection and a right to reinstatement. But the California paid family leave law itself doesn't necessarily provide that protected leave. Most other paid family leave and paid family medical leave laws, but not all of them, do provide both wage replacement and a leave entitlement. But it is just very important when navigating these laws to pay close attention and not just assume that they're both a wage replacement and a leave law. Yeah, Meg, those are. Uh, thank you so much for jumping into both of those and, and giving a bit more color on them. So important for listeners to be aware of both of those points. And, and again, it, it goes back to just how truly nuanced this topic is. You know, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, what is parental leave? Well, sounds basic, right? The company provides time off for its employees to her new parents. And, and as you know, we're getting into, and we're really just scratching the surface on a lot of these topics, it is anything but, but basic, right? And, and some of those distinctions that you just mentioned, you know, the M in PFML, paid family medical leave, being such an important distinction depending on what jurisdiction the company is, is, is operating in. You know, a question, just to, to one more related point on this one before we, we move off to, to the next topic here. A question that I, I get asked about quite often, and I think it's, it's worth another high-level sort of minute or two, is so we talked about the distinction between PFL and PFML, between wage replacement and, and, and leave entitlements. And another one is, well, Josh, you know, Meg, aren't paid family leave laws and paid sick leave laws basically the same thing? And it, it always, it makes me smile because it certainly could seem that way from an outsider's perspective. But when you get into the weeds and, and really not that far into the weeds, you will see very quickly that they are distinct, unique, and, and largely different setups uh, for, for a variety of reasons. So, so a, a thought or two on that. Firstly, you know, in a general sense, the paid sick leave world, which we're not really speaking about today, these are laws that have employers that, that directly provide legally required 
sick time to their employees. Now, this benefit is not necessarily for longer-term major life events. It can be when you're just feeling a little run down, have a common cold, runny nose, even are not sick at all, but just going for preventative care to the doctor, your annual physical, for example. They will usually not provide a more than 40, maybe 80 hours, somewhere in that range worth of time off to the employees. But it, again, is provided directly from the company to the employees. All sort of job protected, no disciplining, no retaliation against workers for using the benefit. Compare that to the paid family leave, paid family medical leave world that we've been talking about for a couple of minutes. And there you have some, some very important distinctions. For starters, the, the paid family leave, paid family medical leave world, really to be thought of as somewhat of an insurance scheme. You know, it is set up in a similar fashion to workers' compensation and unemployment benefits. There are insurance carriers or the state enforcement agency. There are payroll deductions that are often involved, depending on the jurisdiction, to help fund the benefit, as opposed to the sick leave, which I mentioned, is really just between the company and the worker. There is no third entity, the carrier, the state, what have you, that's involved in the providing of those benefits. Paid family medical leave is also much longer term. Right? We're talking about weeks or months rather than, than days and hours of time off. And the benefits, the covered absences, are very often major life events, you know, a serious health condition, bonding with a new child and so forth. Whereas I mentioned the sick leave world, it can be very sort of low level, run of the mill, not feeling great, have a little headache, preventative care and so forth. Those are just some of the, the distinction, you know, between the laws, the you know, paid sick leave and paid family leave laws in terms of how they're set up. I'll also mention there are quite a few more paid sick leave laws than paid family medical leave or paid family leave laws. I say close to four times as many paid sick leave laws in the country today at the state and local level than there are paid family leave laws. So uh, again, just a greater patchwork, greater proliferation of these laws and you know, trickier to navigate in some regards than paid family medical leave just because of the sheer volume of the laws that are out there for companies to deal with. So Yeah, there's uh, really a lot yeah. going on. <laughs> sure is. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know, we're we're dealing even so recently this month, right? San Francisco is just passed this public health emergency paid leave law, which is really just a third of its kind. You know, I know we've both been getting some questions about this one. And it'll be interesting to see if this is the next uh, type of paid sick leave law that's going to be uh, out there. So pay attention to uh, public health emergency leave, ladies and gentlemen, that are listening in today as, as a possible uh, next big wave of these mandates coming down the pipe in the, in the next few years. Which leads me to our final uh, topic for today, which is, so Meg, you know, to pivot us away from sick leave, which is <laughs> something that you and I could talk quite a lot about for many, many minutes, uh, but we will not today. <laughs> Let's go back to paid parental leave and, and, and wrap this up. So what are you expecting in the paid parental, paid family, paid family medical leave space in the next handful of months into 2023, throughout the calendar year 2023? Anything you're paying particular attention to? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, over the next several months and into 2023, I think the Oregon and Colorado paid family leave laws will be front and center. Yeah. So, you know, those laws have been in, you know, quote unquote, in effect for a while now, but the payroll deductions and contributions are starting in January of 2023. Oregon in particular is wrapping up its rulemaking. So employers will have a lot more information on on what their obligations are going to be. 
you know, certain notice and posting obligations that we already know about are coming into effect. And then benefits are going to become available for employees in September of 2023 for Oregon and January of 2024 for Colorado. So we've got a lot lots and lots going on in those states, which is actually a good opportunity to let our listeners know about the upcoming webinar we have discussing these new laws on October 25th. And so we will really be getting down in the weeds on those two laws and providing more information in greater detail on, you know, what employers should be thinking about and how they should be developing their policies and and how they should be complying with the law as they're coming into effect in full force. Is there anything I've missed? Are you seeing anything or what what are you thinking about for 2023? Yeah, no. Well, listen, I mean, Oregon and Colorado couldn't agree more. and, And we're really lucky. I mean, we have such a wonderful team in our Seattle office that that is keeping tabs on both of those laws and and Oregon in particular. I know there are Washington state paid family leave amendments that our our team in Seattle is also paying attention to that we're going to touch on during that that webinar later this month. So lots of good stuff uh, for folks out there. If you want to get more into the weeds on Oregon, Colorado, Washington, uh, please do sign up for that webinar. Uh, Meg and I would, would love to see you there. You know, besides Oregon and Colorado, I think the one big thing I'm I'm looking forward to and and keeping a a close eye out for is what happens in the federal paid family leave, paid family medical leave space. You know, we we had the Families First Coronavirus Response Act that got passed when COVID first broke in, in March and April of 2020. That sunset, the end of that same year, there was a lot of momentum uh, last year, you know, especially during the second half of the year that we might be seeing the passage of a, a cover uh, of a federal paid family medical leave law that would impact private employers that wouldn't just be tied to COVID and, and certain you know, emergencies triggered by COVID. Now that, that sort of fizzled the end of 2021, beginning of this year, but what happens after the elections, you know, this November? Paid family leave, paid family medical leave is a topic that over the last five years or so, maybe even a little bit longer than that, has seen some bipartisan support. So regardless of what happens during the election and, and what the makeup of Congress looks like afterwards, maybe paid leave is something that there can be a, a meeting of the minds and, and folks you know, coming across the aisle to, to get something passed. So federal paid family medical leave in 2023, very curious to see what happens there. Will there be new laws that get enacted like Maryland and Delaware? Will there be additional amendments? Right. And I mentioned Washington State a minute ago. Connecticut keeps getting amended. It's paid family medical leave program that went online earlier this year. So lots to pay attention to in the space for sure as as we round out 2022 and head into the new year. And there are so many other, you know, topics right outside of what are we looking forward to in the coming months and year. There are so many paid family, paid parental leave topics that we didn't get to touch on today. How are these statutory benefits funded? And a point that you and I mentioned very briefly earlier, the coordination between the two big types of parental leave we spoke about today, the employer-provided parental leave and the statutorily mandated paid family, paid family medical leave. How do you count the time off concurrently if you're allowed to? What happens with the pay? Do you top off the benefits? Is it possible that workers could somehow wind up with more than 100% of their pay, you know, and so forth? So paying attention to those considerations public versus private paid family leave plan. Very important topic for a lot of companies. The scope of penalties and how these laws operate when uh, workers are mobile or hybrid or fully remote and, and so many others that we will get into in future take it or leave it topics down the road. So 
Many uh, folks, again, thank you for joining us. You know, really excited to see where this paid family leave topic is heading in the coming, you know, in the coming weeks and months. And if there is anyone out there that has paid family leave question, topic that they want us to, to speak about and, and cover during one of our next Back to the Basics episodes, please do reach out to Meg or myself and we'd be happy to put it on our list. Yes, absolutely. And and thanks, Josh. I think this was a really fun episode to sort of catch up and, and yeah. talk about a topic that I know is both near and dear to our hearts. So this was great. And um, to our listeners, yeah, absolutely. And to our listeners out there, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Take It or Leave It. We will see you next time.